Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, coming to you this time from Glasgow, Scotland, and I have been doing a lot of traveling for the past month, and it's really gotten me thinking about the value of habits. Because, you know, when you're traveling, especially where I've been, I've been to uh, Florida, Philadelphia, uh, to Madrid, Spain, and now to Glasgow, all within the space of a month. And, you know, when you travel, you have to break out of your regular practices and habits and adapt to some new environments. This is natural. It's like you, you kind of get into a pattern of behavior when you're in the same place every day, you change your environment all the time and suddenly things change. Now, this made me realize, you know, just how important habits are to our lives. I mean, or at least it reaffirmed things I've already thought about habits for a long time because I think nothing is more important than habits. We've made a course called Habit Building Boot Camp that in some ways, even though it's not directly related to learning Chinese, is our most important course we've ever made. So, the thing about habits, they're the things that help you establish a healthy lifestyle and uh, they make our way of living much more efficient, right? No doubt about it. So in this experience I've been having, I've been constantly entering new unfamiliar environments. And this is what kind of made me realize this was a specific part of this trip. So the first place I went to after uh, being established in Belgrade for about six months, and of course, even that was a new environment, but... I went to visit Florida to visit my sister and celebrate Christmas with my family. Now, I didn't grow up in Florida, and it's only the second time that I've ever been to my sister's house. And so the new environment, combined with all of the Christmas-related activities that are happening, and just, you know, Christmas feels like a different part of the year, and it's your, your focus changes to being more about family and less about work, and... Uh, Lots of stuff was grabbing my attention, you know, all the things we needed to prepare for this big Christmas Eve party and all that. It caused me to have a very irregular sleep schedule, that along with the jet lag of flying from Europe and all of that. And so, in turn, I found myself scrambling at the end of each day to get my daily habits completed, right? I have this list of things that I want to get done every day so that I'm making incremental improvements in all these different ways, including, and probably most importantly, my Chinese immersion. But I would get to the end of the day and realize, oh, geez, I haven't meditated. I haven't gotten to, you know, I haven't done these things that I normally do every day. And so I would kind of try to fit them in. And it would be like this race to the finish before I went to sleep at night. So after that, after my time in Florida and spending Christmas with the family, I went back to my hometown uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia and spent time with my parents for about uh, 10 days or so. So now that I was back at my childhood home, a place I was very familiar with, I fell into the habit of waking up early. And I reckon that this was because my childhood home is quite familiar to me. So there was a sense of the ability to get back into a quickly, you know, recognizable and consistent set of habits. And I also found myself getting back comparatively into a healthy way of living. And I was able to even you know, use my dad's office, which was a very ideal space for uh, working from home because he worked from home in the later part of his career. He's retired now. But the, the environment was helping me get back into that situation. And as a side note to this, I also found that when I got out of my habitual type of, uh, you know, just sort of daily routines and rituals that keep me on path and processes, as uh, James Clear would call them, 
then I found it much easier to kind of let myself go in other certain habits. Like for example, eating healthy food versus eating junk food, you know, and it's also a little bit of Christmas, you know, Christmas, lots of sweets around and there's stuff, you know, available to you. And of course I also hadn't been to the States for a while. So I was more inclined to be like, Oh, look at this food. I can only get in the States. I want to have some of that. Even though it'd be the kind of thing that'd be a special occasion. Normally I was kind of letting myself do that and, you know, put on a few pounds and whatever. And so it made it harder then to focus because, you know, I'm then I'm getting out of the bad habit of, uh, or the good habit of eating healthy. And, you know, the, that affects your uh, internal state and everything. However, despite all of this, I would still argue that environment really isn't everything. You know, people would argue like, oh, your environment affects everything you do. I think environment plays a crucial role in maintaining consistency with your identity, your processes, and your goals. However, I, that doesn't mean you can't overcome your environment. And here's what I mean by that. Despite the changing environments that I went through, I still managed to complete my minimum daily habits. Right? And sometimes I was scrambling, like I said, but I still managed to complete them. You know, I got my 45 minutes of active immersion completed every day. I completed my link.com daily goal of getting, you know, you set a set of goals for coins is what link.com calls it. Reach that goal every day. I meditated. I took my supplements. And I even managed to get in my three hours a week of zone two cardio, which is uh, you know, just something for general health. And so everybody has sort of different things they find easier to keep consistent. Like exercise for me, luckily, is one of those things that I've realized it, I, no matter how bad things get in, or how different things get, let's say, not bad, but different. I always manage to keep that one going because I just know to what degree it makes my general mental health uh, pretty good. Um, but the degree to which you can maintain processes that align with your identity as a Chinese learner is the degree to which you can stay conscious, right? Regardless of your environment. Because what kept me consistent during this time is that no matter how far I travel or what new environments appear before my eyes, there's one thing that always remains the same, which is consciousness. As uh, the John Kabat-Zinn book uh, titled, Wherever You Go, There You Are, uh, that's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a lame title for a book on meditation, but it does get across the point that no matter what new things enter your visual field or, you know, the possible distractions that come in from different people that are around or whatever is going on, the below all of that, and when you step back below your senses is just that general state of being alive. Like whatever it is, you know, the that ring that they'll say at the beginning of meditations where it's like, like boom, that's kind of like consciousness. That's what the Buddhists are going for there. They're saying like, okay, below everything, or you could say above the clouds. That's how Andy Puttycomb of headspace.com says it. There's always a blue sky above the clouds. So when, then, when you step back away from all those new stimuli and thoughts and you find that the conscious experience under, underlying all of that noise, you'll find that it is utterly consistent. It's always there. It's like the blue sky above the clouds. It's just operating and, you know, ringing like that bell, right? Now, listen, I'm not, I'm no Buddha. <laughs> I'm not like trying to claim that I have some special uh, knowledge in this area. And there are plenty of people who know a lot more about this than I do or have spent time experiencing it. However, I do spend a lot of time or at least some time each day 
attempting to experience consciousness without identifying with emerging thoughts. So what I mean by that is that when a thought emerges, you didn't choose it in the same way that you didn't choose the sensations that are coming from your pinky toe. Right now, your pinky toe is giving you conscious uh, awareness that it's there, but it doesn't define who you are. And so both a thought that emerges and the pinky toe sensation appear in consciousness and then give way to new thoughts and sensations. It's a constant flux and they do not tell me who I am. So my new environment doesn't define my consciousness. So, you know, for me, and I bet this would be true for you too, when I don't allow my thoughts to define my identity, then suddenly the possibilities of what to do next are endless. And this is why it's relevant to Chinese immersion and Chinese learning, because I'm not imprisoned by an internal dialogue that's defining my life and, and saying, you know, uh, this is how you are and this is what you should do and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those thoughts that they, they essentially imprison you in an identity that you don't have to live in. You know, you could be saying, all right, I'm going to do a three-minute cold shower followed by 45 minutes of immersion. And if you don't have your thoughts defining you, uh, that's just as valid of a decision as anything else. Just like the unexpected uh, thought or sensation that comes into your consciousness. Well, if you choose to bring that thought or con or conscious idea, I'm going to do 45 minutes of immersion now. Well, it feels just as valid as anything else because you're not letting the other stuff define you. I'm bad at Chinese. I don't have the discipline for this. All that stuff is just the random emerging thoughts that came into your head. I mean, I'm not saying they're all random, but what I am saying is that when they emerge, they don't have to be the same thing as you. You don't have to say that thought is me. No, it's just a thought that emerged in consciousness. Don't let it define you. And if it doesn't define you, then you can do anything. You see what I mean? So what I would like to let you, what, what you should let affect you is the greater environment. So in a sense, all these changing environments that we experience when we travel, and go to different places in the world and move to different apartments and go into hotel rooms and whatever, they're trivial compared to the greater universe where consciousness emerged. Now, I don't claim to know how any of that came to be, but I do know that human consciousness is, at its core, a product of the universe. It emerged out of the universe in all the different ways that it's been interacting. And the universe is in a constant state of flux. Even solids that you see around you, if you zoomed in enough, you'd see that the atoms are all moving inside of it. And so we're in this state of flux where consciousness emerge, emerges, and that is the great environment that we are in. And that's the environment I want to let influence me because it's the same environment that connects me with every other conscious being. I think we all strive for connection in life. We hope to feel like I am somewhat similar or maybe even very similar or maybe even the same thing as this other person. And we know that this is our point of connection. It's one thing we can be sure that we share in common. We're conscious and that consciousness is a product of the universe. And so when I operate at this level, and some people like to call this level the, the higher self, my immediate environment has far less ability to throw me off, right? Because 
I'm sticking with the thing that remains consistent, which is that base level consciousness that isn't letting thoughts define it, and is a product of the many changing uh, sort of interactions of the universe and is something I share in common with lots of other people. So what room I'm in, what state of the world I'm in, what country makes much less of a difference to my identity. Now, I also, I am not perfect. Uh, like everyone, I retreat into the myopic lower self that's much more egoistic and easily triggered into an unproductive malaise. And that is absolutely, you know, like I say, I'm no Buddha. But like everything else that I've discussed today, our consciousness of this tendency, that can be our redemption to realize that I've just, I've broken out of the higher self and I've gone into this other place. So I hope that the next time you feel overwhelmed by that, you know, the constant flux of your local environment, that you can step back, let your thoughts and thoughts about it, you know, come and go. There's going to be thoughts that emerge all the time, right? It's just constantly happening. Uh, and then once you let them come and go and don't let them define you, you can go back to living in accordance with your vision of reaching Chinese fluency. So I hope that that's helpful. I hope that that perspective can help you, you know, recognize that like a lot of times we don't want to study because we're imprisoned in a set of thoughts that are constraining us. If you can just let it go, then the decision to immerse, the decision to learn a new character, the decision to do anything that is serving your Chinese identity becomes equal to anything else. And therefore, you know, you can easily get it going. What I'd like to do now is do a synopsis of what I just said, but do it in Chinese. And I want to just see uh, it, how you guys do with it, see how much you can understand. And, um, you know, no worries if you can't understand it. It'll, it'll be a couple minutes. All right, so let's just go over. It's not exactly the same as what I just said, but it's, you know, a similar synopsis. So let's do it. 大家好,我是Phil。最近一个月我在旅行。这次旅行让我深刻地认识到了习惯的价值。在旅行期间 这使我能够更好地利用我的时间，并且让我感觉在工作上更有生产力和创造力。我还发现，当我没有习惯的支持时，我很容易放纵自己。比如，我更容易吃垃圾食品，而不是健康的食物，并且我也更容易精神涣散
Well, I hope you found that understandable. I specifically didn't put subtitles because I wanted it to be a little bit of a listening challenge. But if you uh, go to our website and look at the uh, podcast page for this episode, I will put the text there. So if you want to you know, read that again uh, of what I was saying, you can uh, go ahead and do that. So, all right, let's get into this week's comments and emails. We've got some good ones coming. So here's the first post from Florine Van Meer in the community forum. So Florian says, it's looking like nothing can stop you. The email sent after completing phase one. And that's exactly how I feel. I'm super excited about this course. I studied Chinese for a year in Xiamen almost 10 years ago. Maintaining what I had learned back home was tough. I tried so many things. I had HSK four to five level when I came back. I've always struggled to find a structured way to continue my Chinese studies. Textbooks give that structure, but are slow, and many courses offered around here in the Netherlands and Belgium focus only on passing the HSK tests. Going through the Pronunciation Mastery course felt like a waste of time in the beginning, but it greatly improved my understanding of pinyin, and it is so much easier to learn from non-native speakers that have gone through the process themselves. It is surprising how well the scenes from the Hanzi movie method stick. And my understanding for every single character I've learned so far is so much greater than it was back when I was living in China. Luke and Phil, thank you very much for the well-structured course and encouragement. I can't wait for what comes next and when I am above my previous level with a much more solid base. Today is number 41 for me. With the minimum per day reviewing of all my Traverse flashcards and doing something small every day starts to pay off. Well, I love this type of message, um, mostly because... It gets across the point that we were trying to solve. Like you'd think that moving to China and studying Chinese in China would be enough. And, it, you know, it can be if you're particularly disciplined or you're like, you know, just so well uh, able to do it your own way that you can kind of avoid the sort of structured educational problems, which I really have a problem with. I don't like how they approach teaching the language because they treat it like an academic subject too much when it's just not. Language learning is not an academic subject. It is a base layer communication skill that our brains are evolved to be good at, right? Like we're already meant to be good at this type of uh, acquisition. And so when you actually acquire the language as opposed to uh, learning it academically, and by acquiring it, you get comprehensible input into your eyes and ears, that's what I mean by acquiring it, uh, then that is the thing that will get you to uh, the promised land of fluency and literacy. However, it's easier said than done because you need structure to give you a sense of what you should focus on next, especially with Chinese. So, structure is something that the academic world has in spades, it's just the structure is based on the uh, learning the language, not the acquisition of language. What we aimed to do with Mandarin Blueprint was to give you an acquisition structure, right? Not a learning structure. Now, in order to acquire language, like I said before, you must comprehend what you either hear or see. The biggest things that build comprehension are a solid understanding of pronunciation, that builds comprehension for listening, and a solid understanding of characters. That builds comprehension for reading. So those are your two building comprehension activities that feed into getting comprehension. 
There's building comprehension and there's getting comprehension. Now, trying to get comprehension without first building comprehension is, while not impossible, is very, very difficult because it's difficult for an adult for this reason. Kids do that. But that's because they're infant babies with nothing else going on, right? They don't have anything else that can distract them, right? So they haven't built any comprehension, but then, you know, they live in the world and they hear their native language all around them constantly and they want to communicate with their parents and they really try to use all the visual cues that they could possibly use to understand. They try to communicate things, they mimic, they do all these things for years, many, many years. Now, if you were to do the same thing as an adult, without any building comprehension activities and just try to get comprehension, you're gonna spend a couple of years probably really not understanding most of what you're reading and listening to, right? And actually really would just be listening in the, in the case of trying to mimic how a child does it. However, we are adults and we do have the ability to build comprehension through specific activities. So in the case of pronunciation, you get a non-native, like Florine said, to explain to you in language you can understand as an adult, how to put your tongue, how to shape your mouth, how to produce the sounds from your vocal cords, what cavities should the sound be vibrating, throat cavity, mouth cavity, nasal cavity. These are things that you can learn about and practice that, that will increase your understanding of how to produce the sounds. And by understanding how to produce the sounds, you therefore can hear the sounds more accurately. That is a, definitely a golden truth about pronunciation. If you learn pronunciation, you will be able to hear what other people are saying with more accuracy. It's definitely a, a wonderful thing. So that's a building comprehension activity. And the good news with Chinese is that while there are some syllables that are difficult to say for speakers of Western languages, there aren't that many syllables. So the time spent building comprehension in this way is uh, short at the beginning relative to other activities, and it's distributed across your whole time of learning in the sense that every character has a pronunciation, every sentence has a pronunciation, and as long as you uh, understand the, the foundational uh, pinion structure and how you're supposed to shape your mouth and how you're supposed to uh, produce these sounds, then you're going to get endless opportunities to continue to practice that for the rest of your time learning Chinese, right? If you heard me speaking the Chinese earlier in today's podcast, like, you know, how many times have I heard all those syllables? Well, loads, because I've been constantly uh, either hearing them or reading characters where I knew how they were supposed to be pronounced. So there's that. Now, the other building comprehension activity is to learn characters properly. And this is a huge challenge for most Chinese learners because the Chinese teachers they get in academia just either don't have a system or they're like, just repeat it a bunch of times. Just learn it by rote, write it over and over, and then uh, keep repeating how it's pronounced over and over. Like, and this is incredibly boring. And if you don't use it, you lose it. Whereas we, um, you know, in this case, are we, and we have another comment coming about this later, but when you use solid memory champion techniques that engages the mind palace and engages these mnemonic techniques that are well proven to work, loads of examples of it working. Uh, when you use these, 
you don't have to work nearly as hard and it's much more interesting and then you can remember the character long enough to be able to see it in a sentence. You see it in a sentence, then you see it in a paragraph and you see it in a story. And by the time you've seen it at that level, maybe 20 to 30 times, then the initial mnemonic you use to remember the character can go because you've already mastered it. Like at some point, you've mastered the words, like how the word the, <laughs> you know, can I explain how the works to a non-native? Well, not very easily, but I've completely mastered it and I will never forget it. And if I used a mnemonic to learn the, it would long be long gone because it didn't matter because I've, I've acquired it now, right? So those two comprehension building activities can have structure, and that's what the Mandarin Bluebird Method is. It's a structured plan to build comprehension and then get comprehension that is perfectly suited to your level of comprehension building. See what I mean? So we, we build it character by character and then word by word based built of the characters you know. And then sentence by sentence made up of characters and words you know. And then we just make sure that, and by the time you're reading sentences, you're starting to get comprehension now. And then you just keep building, keep building until you can start getting comprehension from the uh, the wild world of the Chinese internet with loads of different TV shows, movies, podcasts, books, this, the, all the things you can uh, imagine that are Chinese content, so the wide world of Chinese content. And you'll be able to understand and get comprehension from that once you've had the basics of the comprehension before built. And we had this guy the other day on YouTube leave us a comment saying that you need to know more than 3,000 characters to, uh, you know, reach literacy. And I thought, no, this is a confusion because you don't have to learn five to 6,000 characters as he suggested to reach literacy because once you have had, say, the top 3,000 characters with and seen them in context and seen how they're used, first of all, that's 99.4% of the language by frequency. So I disagree with him, even academically speaking. I think it, that's enough. But if you know 99.4%, then the remaining 0.6%, which is a, you know, the way the Pareto principle works, that's a huge amount of characters. But you can learn that from the context of everything you know below it, which is the pronunciation of the pinyin, the character components that you've learned from those 3,000 characters, which is the vast majority. It's, you know, it's just a huge, you know, most of the components in Chinese, if you know the top 3,000 characters, then you've got the characters themselves, then you've got the words that they build, then you've got the sentences that you've read, then you've got the paragraphs that you've read, then you have the whole uh, graded articles that you've read and stories, and then the, then the TV shows you've watched and the podcasts. And so then if you see one of those 0.6% uh, of the language characters that maybe gets you closer to five or 6,000 known characters, you can learn them almost exclusively through context. Right, because you can hear somebody saying it, you can understand what they're saying, you know the components because you've read the components before, and you've got the context context of the plot, like what's going on in the plot. Like if I have one word that I don't know in an English plot, let's say, or a Chinese plot, but it's you know at my level, but like let's just say it's an English language show, and somebody introduces a new word you've never learned before, maybe because it's made up for the show, or maybe it's just a word you've never heard before. If that's the only word you don't know in a scene you can figure out what it means. There's enough context of everything around that you can go, oh, okay, that's a flubernuffer. And that, I never heard flubernuffer before, but now that I've heard it and I've heard it in the scene where everything was clear around it, I got it. And that's why the Mandarin Bluebird Method is so effective because we build you to that point where you can learn new language just from context without having to do all these academic sort of things that are, I wouldn't say academic, but at least say, 
intentional learning activities like learning a character. So that was a very long-winded response to uh, Florine, but I just really appreciated that because, uh, and it might be Florin, I, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but I just really appreciated that because that's exactly what we were going for. So with that in mind, uh, let's move on to the next uh, next email from Chad Ressler, who's a longtime Mandarin Blueprint uh, participant. And just a little context, Chad has been doing Mandarin Blueprint uh, intentionally from the beginning at a like you know I guess you could uh, I wouldn't say a snail's pace but just a daily consistent pace but not trying to add too much to his plate he's a busy guy got a full-time job and he's got a family you know he's not uh trying to uh win the race he's just trying to make some progress every day in a little bit and he's he had this goal from the beginning so here's what he says on his four-year check-in hey Phil and Luke I think about four years ago today, I was watching Luke sitting on the bench talking about learning Chinese and deciding what I wanted to do. Then on January 18th, 2019, yes, I'm a little bit early, I signed up for the Mandarin Blueprint. I thought I would send you guys an update email since I am your slowest student. And yes, I am sitting here this morning with a Chinese YouTube video in the background practicing listening. I like that. When I started, I had absolute zero Chinese ability. Now, I can actually rank my Chinese strengths, which are as follows. Number one, reading. Number two, listening. Number three, speaking. Number four, writing. And by the way, of course, the input comes first. Reading and listening. In fact, this is actually almost what I would expect. Maybe speaking and writing get flipped for some people, but input is always what comes first, and then output is a natural product of input, and... Uh, Amongst the two input activities, reading and listening, it makes sense that they're in that order because comprehension for reading is easier because you have more time. Like you can take your time to understand a sentence. So reading, listening, speaking, writing makes sense. I can't actually write any Chinese, but I can type it. I do have Scritter and some writing practice tools. I'll get there. I love reading Chinese and I'm pretty good at it. Uh, with my tutor, I've noticed he will talk to me in Chinese and I can understand what he's saying for the most part, but I still struggle with speaking and expressing myself. This is not the fault of Mandarin Blueprint, of course, but I of how I've chosen to learn Chinese. I've always been intimidated by speaking Chinese and held myself back from it. Reading was my focus, and so I vastly improved in that area. Don't worry, my, t my tutor forces me to speak when I am slowly getting better with it. My tones are improving as well. Something about working with my tutor has really improved my ability when reading to just know the tones of the characters better without thinking about it anymore. I also don't always translate in into English in my head when I'm reading. That's a good uh, milestone. There is never a day anymore where I am not doing something related to learning Chinese. It is my life now. So I know that eventually I will be reading and speaking fluently. I work with a tutor from Dalian two to three times a week, and we are going through the all the HSK courses. I definitely need to start the intermediate course, but I've always been intimidated by the prospect of 900 more characters. However, I've recently, recently I've noticed that the major thing holding me back now is simply a lack of characters and vocabulary. If I could go back four years and change anything with my Chinese language journey, the only thing I would have done differently was to sign up for the Mandarin Blueprint a lot sooner, Chad. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, I know the feeling of like, oh, another 900 characters, but that's that same sort of um, uh, 
mental error that we all make, and I make it too, so I'm not I'm not standing from some ivory tower here, where we go, because I can't do a lot, and because I can only do a little, I therefore will do nothing. And it's like, yeah, but if you, I mean, 900 characters, yeah, but you could still do a character today, and that character will move you a little bit further. And it's, you know, a character is not much, but it's more than zero. And zero is, that's the only number that you can, is, you can't multiply anything by zero. You can multiply days by one, right? So let's just say it takes you 900 days. Okay, it's a little bit uh, less than three years. And so you might go, oh, three years until I know these 900 more characters? Well, you know, uh, in, if life goes well and there aren't any accidents, you're going to be alive for a long time more, right? So then you'll still you'll have that skill for the rest of your life. So who cares if it's 900 days times one, right? Uh, and then of course the nice thing is then you go, well wait a second, well, it's only 450 days if I make it by if I make it two, and hey, it's less than a year if I make it three a day, right? But the the only number that you can't multiply the days by is zero. Right, so then you're like, okay, well, it's still zero. And so as long as you're above zero, there's some kind of potential compounding that can happen. There's some kind of multiplication by the days that can happen. And uh, we're, gonna just, we're gonna keep on living. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, we're gonna keep on being conscious until, uh, you know, until our last days. And so what are you gonna do with those days? And I mean, a day is a decent enough uh, division here because like, you know, what the heck we go to sleep every night and we go into a deep sleep and then we restart and rested. So might as well think of things in days, but, uh, yeah. So like doing at least one a day, I know you're capable Chad, obviously. So, uh, let's see you do that. And I'm just thrilled that you're sticking with it. And, uh, I, I also, it's, it's totally cool the way you're approaching it because it reminds me and the other people listening to the Manor Blue Room podcast and the people in the Manor Blue Room method that, there's no, uh, there really is no race here. You know, at the end of the day, you're building a skill and it doesn't matter how quickly you get it done in, you know, unless there's something that you have to do that's an emergency, but how, I mean, you know, nobody learns Chinese because there's an emergency, right? You know what I mean? Like it's too, it's too much to learn. So why not just take it uh, at the pace that works for you? And also in my life, I've never looked back at uh, my Chinese and thought, I wish that I had become fluent earlier than I did uh, because one, I don't know the exact moment I became fluent. It's not like it doesn't even really work like that. And it even sometimes varies day to day in the sense that not so much anymore. It's not like now I have any trouble communicating with people, but there was a long period of time where on a day I'm having a really good day, I can communicate with somebody really well. And then the next day I'm feeling, you know, uh, under the weather or just having a bad day in general. And I'm not I'm not as fluent and like, so even that is a little bit in flux. And so there's not even a moment that you can point to, but my point is it doesn't matter. You never, I never thought, oh, I wish I had been fluent six months earlier. Why, why would that have mattered? So yeah, all right. Next we have Cameron Ogle on level four complete. Cameron says, I recall earlier on in the course, you guys reminding us to stay patient and repeatedly saying, you will get it. It's just a matter of time. Seems like my time has come. <laughs> I've been consistently hitting the course over the last couple of weeks after lurking for ages, and the method is definitely clicking. I can visualize the movie as soon as I see the character. My sets, rooms, and actors are all making sense. It seems ridiculous to me that I can still remember my movie and characters that I made when I first started and then abandoned the course over a year ago. 
just crazy. The best part, though, is the excitement and renewed vigor to push through more and more of the course. Thanks again, guys, for creating this beautiful monster. <laughs> I like the idea of the Commander of Blue Room Method being called a beautiful monster because it kind of is. It's a lot. Like, look, it's a structured comprehension building machine and comprehensible input machine for an entire language. And of course, even when I say entire, I'm saying I'm really just mean getting you to the point where you don't need anything else other than just immersion in Chinese to continue to improve. Uh, and immersion with you know free resources even, but yeah, it's quite it's quite large. But the main thing that sticks out to me about your comment here, of course, is that it it is so unbelievably effective how well these memory palace techniques that the memory champions use work. And the one thing I wish that I could understand as a course creator is why some people are so resistant to it. Uh, there's just like a feeling that they get where they're just like, oh no, you know, like having to think of things that are silly and uh, massively visually stimulating in my mind's eye, what a drag. And it's like, but I'm always like, but what's the comparison here? You have to learn these characters if you want to learn Chinese effectively. So what are you just going to write them over and over? That's so boring. I don't know. I mean, like, unless you're like, you know, 18 in college and you're just full of lots of energy and you're committed your entire life. All I want to do is learn Chinese. And then you spend eight hours a day doing it. Okay, you might be successful and you might have a lot of discipline and be willing to do it that way. But gosh, there's such a better way to do it. And you can remember a year later things that you did a year ago. And like, that's how effective it is. I mean, do you think if you wrote down a Chinese character that's, you know, of sufficient complexity, 10 strokes or more uh, today, for a hundred times, let's say it was a hundred times. Do you think you would remember it a year from now? I mean, I there's no way. You probably wouldn't remember it ten days from now. Uh, you probably wouldn't remember it five days from now. So, like, the fact that you can still remember something you did over a year ago for these characters is just a testament to the fact that we're better at remembering certain things than others. And here's an example of things we're bad at remembering. Random squiggles on a flat page... Here's things we're good at remembering. Faces, places, uh, objects, actions, right? Those things are what we're good at remembering. Like you can – people say I'm good with faces. I'm not with names. It's like, yeah, that's everybody. Everybody is good with faces and names because faces are things we, we've evolved to be good at and names are something where we need to uh, apply some extra memory technique to remember because it's just a random sound, right? And now if somebody says – my name is Josh. Well, my next door neighbor growing up was Josh. And so I can associate that person with Josh. And then I have a visual connection to Josh and his face. And now I can remember the new person more easily because of that emotional connection I have to my next door neighbor growing up. So anyway, this is all just to say uh, that it's really incredible that you can remember this stuff, Cameron. And I'm so glad that you're back into it. Keep it up. Next, we have a comment from Meredith Ezel or Ezel on uh, Dig Into Your Childhood, which is the uh, lesson where we teach how to do set mnemonics. So this is remembering the pinyin final of a character, whether it's ao or ai or un or yung by 
putting yourself into a location. And so when there's the null final in the hands of movie method, we recommend doing it in your childhood home. And Meredith says this, my parents remodeled my childhood home several years ago. And as a result, I have several rich memories of very different versions of the same home. For example, my family's first 10 years in that house, we had a pool in the backyard. But about 10 years ago, my parents filled the pool in, and now it is a lovely garden with a screened-in back porch and lots of plants. I have a lot of memories from both versions of this backyard, and both versions can make a great set for a scene. Could these two versions of my childhood backyard be a problem, or is it not a concern as long as I know that? Whether I'm in a pool or on a porch, it's still the backyard of my childhood home. Yeah, so if you're saying that it is the same set, so like you're, you're just switching it up. So like on one character in the backyard of your childhood home, uh, on one scene, you are in the pool version and another one you're in the garden version you're still going to know it's your childhood home. Like you're not going to be confused. Like, is it, where am I? No, you're going to know it very well. So again, this is why this stuff is so easy because it's so simple in the sense that you know exactly where you are. Like I've been in my uh, brother and sister-in-law's place for less than 24 hours. And I already could make hands and movie method scenes in here because it's not that complicated. It's like, okay, you walk in, there's a hallway, there is a bathroom to the left, there are two uh, rooms, a bedroom and a living room, and off the living room is a kitchen. Done. I, I can easily remember that. I can even remember certain things, you know, uh, about the place that and the other rooms in here that I haven't, uh, even though I'm not looking at them, I can remember them, right? So I know where I am. You'll know where you are. It's not going to be a problem. Now, at first I thought you might be asking, could I have two sets one that's my childhood home pre-remodeled and one that's my childhood home post-remodeled. And as long as the rooms were significantly different enough, I would say, yes, you could do that if you wanted to as well. Because again, this is easy. Like it's really easy to tell, like, am I in the kitchen of my first apartment I lived in? Like, it's like, it, you know the answer before you even ask the question because it's so straightforward. Like these memory techniques are pre-language. That's how deep they are. They go way before human beings even needed to communicate through language. They evolved the ability to recognize where they are in space. Uh, you know, I'm sure that many other primates have this ability and animals have this ability. Clearly they do. I mean, like my cats run around the house and they, you know, tend to do a pretty darn good job of uh, successfully jumping and landing where they're supposed to land. So like we've got these sort of animalistic innate abilities and these are better than... Uh, you know, rote memorization of stuff on a page. So anyway, uh, hopefully that answers your question, Meredith. We have another one from Meredith on the pick a prop for sure. And she says, could this cause confusion as we flesh out our cast down the road? And so she's you know, asking, will this idea she has cause confusion? She says, my favorite incarnation of the doctor from Doctor Who is the 10th doctor played by David Tennant. I was thinking of using this doctor as a prop for sure, but I'm concerned that this may interfere with my cast down the road since he is a fictional character. So it would only interfere with your cast down the road if you chose David Ten Tennant as Doctor Who uh, as one of your actors. But if you didn't, then it's no confusion, right? So... Uh, it, it would be possible if he was one of your actors, but in, if it's if he's not, then no big deal at all. So that's what I would say about that. Now, um, 
there's something to be said for picking something else because you may want to use him later because you seem to be a Doctor Who fan uh, and he was your favorite one. So this prop, I mean, it'll be used again. And so, you know, it'll, it, it, it may come up, but if you wanted to use him for something else, like for example, the DU, if you wanted to have him for that as Doctor Who, David Tennant even, that might be better because there's going to be lots of characters that have that pronunciation and you like this character. So you'll be interacting with him more if you choose him for that. But it's not, I, I don't want you to worry about confusion. The only consideration I want you to have here is you like this guy. Maybe you want to interact with him more often. So maybe choose him for this other thing and then pick one of the recommendations we have for sure. Like 10 bowling pins, right? Like that's an example. That's, you know, that, that would be fine because it relates to 10 and it's also... You know, having people as props is totally fine. We occasionally have someone, though, who says, I only want to have objects as props. And so that can be, you know, the way that you do that. I think it's perfectly fine to have people as props because as long as they don't contradict any of your uh, actors, then it's no big deal. But, hey, uh, the, that's the way I want you to consider it. Um, so, yeah. All right. Next, we have a practical question about the language from Ioana. She says, what's the difference between why my and it's a good question. So it's basically because uh, both of these have this general meaning of taking of takeout for food. But the difference, why my, is you're at home and you're ordering it on a why my app or you're calling for delivery and they bring it to you at your house. Dabao is like, uh, can we have a doggy bag? I'm at the restaurant. I want to wrap up the food that we didn't eat and take it home. And, or you're at like a fast food place. Like you're at the line at McDonald's and they say, do you want it for eat in? Uh, which they'll say, zai jar, zai jar uh, or da bao. Zai jar hai shi da bao. That's a question they'll ask you, which is, would you rather eat here or take it home, da bao? But the point is, either way, whether it's that you're eating at a sit-down restaurant and you haven't finished all your food and you'd like to leave or you're at a you know a fast food place and the question is do you want to eat here or do you want to take it home that you're starting at the restaurant so just think of dabao as i'm at the restaurant and why am i is i'm at home so that's the difference ioana on vocab unlocked from tour and the many uh words you can learn related to vehicle or tour and she says is dandong tour used for e-bikes or motorcycles too, just e-bikes. So dongchuo or dianpingchuo, they're both the common words for e-bike in China. They are specifically the electricity run bikes because they are very common in China, super common, super popular. And they of course are way slower than motorcycles. So uh, they're a significant category that is unrelated. And then motorcycle is actually fairly easy to remember. So, right? That's how you say motorcycle. And it's just a mimicking of saying motor. Uh, um, so, yeah, that's a pretty easy one, actually. All right. Next, we have a question from Lucas on the Mandarin Immersion Masterclass lesson, level two from confusion to comprehension. So, this, the Mandarin Immersion Masterclass, four of our big lessons there are going over the level the level that you're at with your immersion from level one, which is sort of beginner to foundational Chinese, level two from foundational Chinese, intermediate Chinese, level three while you're in the intermediate stage, and then level four when you've basically, you're, you're fluent, but you're improving, right? Um, and so 
or you, you know, you could, maybe you could say from basic fluency to, you know, for the rest of your life, you could say you're in level four. So uh, level two is where Lucas is asking this question. And he says, it's fine if I use the sentences I will get from the intermediate course, right? And I think what he's referring to is using the intermediate course sentence packs to have as listening immersion. And absolutely, because your comprehension of those sentences is going to be quite high since you've gone through the Manor Bloomer method. I will say, though, you're going to have to break out of that at some point because the... Um, the comprehension that you get from the Mandarin Blueprint method is the reason it's comprehensible is because it's tailored. We know exactly what characters you've learned, what exactly uh, the words you've learned, but it's also therefore a little bit uh, lacking in emotion. Uh, th this, the exception to this would be well, the graded articles that are in the intermediate course because those often are very interesting stories that do have emotion in them. But if you're just having a sentence that's constructed to be comprehensible to your level, it's not necessarily as interesting as a sentence you understand from a TV show that has a plot. So you do want to get out of this at some point, but the more comprehension you build through the Mandarin Bloomer method and get and, and and get the comprehension because you know it's at your level, that is of course good. I'm just saying at some point you have to break out of that and get to more interesting stuff. Uh, so, uh, but he goes on further to ask, I am curious though, is listening to Chinese songs already a good step towards good listening comprehension? I do know that the tones are not always respected and stuff. I guess that content at my level, like the sentences, is a lot more reliable. Yeah, I mean, here's what I would say about songs. The best thing that keeps you going with Chinese is having an identity as a Chinese learner. If you see yourself as, I'm a Mandarin enthusiast, I'm a cenophile, I wanna learn about China, I wanna learn about Mandarin, I wanna get, I am the type of person who's gonna be, you know, just a great fluent Mandarin speaker who knows a lot about China, and that's my identity, gosh darn it. Um, well, the identity of that person is someone who listens to Chinese music. It's one of the things that person would do, right? So from that perspective, Absolutely, it helps. In the same way that eating Chinese food with chopsticks doesn't make you fluent in Mandarin, but it tells you and it tells your psychology, I'm taking this seriously, right? So listen to Chinese songs, please. Now, I will say, with that said, you're right about them changing the tones a lot. So it doesn't necessarily help you with tones because they're singing, right? So it's like if they're singing, they need to sing the right notes. And sometimes the tone, if they were to get the tone right, it doesn't sound right when they're singing. So... Uh, there's that. And then there's also the issue of the words that they use because they'll choose obscure words to rhyme, right? Obviously, a lot of times with songs, they'll write things that are uh, rhyming. And of course, there's only so many finals uh, rhyming sounds in Chinese. So they'll often pick one and then they'll be like, okay, I want to say that she's Hanmei. Right, like so she's so beautiful, Hanmei. And so I need to therefore find other syllables that rhyme with A in some way. And there are a lot that are common, but then sometimes it'll be like, oh, I found a very obscure word that means what I want it to mean. And it also happens to have the EI final. And so they'll be like, okay, uh, you know, uh, I'll do this. Or they'll say something a little bit wrong to make it... Uh, Match. So, for example, uh, and that would mean I she's so beautiful. I gave her a rose, but really you should say right? Because the is like you should probably say if you want to specifically say the rose. But is still the word for rose, and so they're like may uh, she's beautiful. May is it rhymes with and so I'll do that. 
right? And so that's an example. You might get some incorrect grammar ideas. You might get some uh, uh, sort of strange and obscure words just to fit the rhyme. But you're still getting Chinese. It's still better than nothing. And it confirms your Chinese identity. So listen to Chinese music if that's something that gets you excited. Next, we have a uh, comment from Kelly Graham on the Choose Your Challenge uh, lesson in the the Mandarin Blueprint Challenge companion course. So the Mandarin Blueprint Challenge is something we released uh, like about a week and a half ago. And, you know, it's what we're doing in lieu of having a free trial for the Mandarin Blueprint method. We found that when we had a free trial, uh, a lot of people would sign up for it, but they didn't use it. And it's because there was no, like, it's just like any human psychology thing. Like you get a thing and you're like, this is exciting today, but then you get distracted and other things happen. And then your free trial goes up and then you realize you didn't use it. And you're like, and then you don't, whatever. Now, instead of doing a free trial, one, we've extended our money back guarantee period to 90 days now. So like, cause look, it's going to work for you if you put the work in. Uh, so we're not too worried about that. And then occasionally you run into somebody who, you know, for whatever reason really doesn't like how the method works and they would like their money back. And we're always happy to give that. But we know that when people use it, they're going to find that it works. And so um, the 90 day money back guarantee thing is something that gives people peace of mind when they're buying it, of course, right? There's like, okay, I've got three months to figure this out. Um, but the Mandarin Blueprint Challenge is trying to get, we want you to do it. We want you to use it. So we're challenging you and we charge seven bucks for this. So it's not free. We want to, you want to give you a little skin in the game, right? Because some, it's weird when you learn, you learn about this when you uh, sell something online, which is, you know, we're, we're selling it so that we can keep doing it. We love this. Like we're not, tr but we also need to make a living. So we got to sell the course. And so, um, and, and also we have to take, uh, keep in mind that, Luke and I have only so much time in the day and we want to give good customer service. So that's part of the reason that, you know, our prices are a little bit higher. Like we could hire, you know, people to um, handle the customer service questions and then charge less because it wouldn't take up as much of our time, but then we wouldn't pr be providing as good feedback. And, you know, that's the type of thing that we just don't feel comfortable with. So we want it to be, uh, you know, enough people so that we can help, but a good enough price so that we can keep you know, surviving and doing this life and making the course better. So my point is that when we gave it away for free, even if it was just a free trial, uh, people didn't use it enough. If you just charge a modicum of a price, seven bucks, uh, then the people who do it at least are invested a little bit. And then we say, and we challenge you to reach 125 characters and read Chinese sentences uh, within 15 days. So it's a 15-day Mandarin Blueprint Challenge. I've left the link below on the page on the website. So if you go to the podcast episode 194 uh, and you go to that page on mandarinblueprint.com. Uh, so you go to mandarinblueprint.com slash podcast, find episode 194. And then on that page, you'll find the sign up for the Mandarin Blueprint Challenge link there. Uh, that is where you can go and, you know, if you're interested in the Mandarin Blueprint method, if you've never tried it before and you want to see how it works, it, there couldn't really be a better situation because we set you up with uh, a daily task for 15 days to make sure that you acquire 125 characters and reach that um, threshold. So I have left that um, link in the on the page for this particular podcast. So go sign up for it if you'd like. It's, um, yeah go.mandarinluber.com slash the 
MB challenge with hyphens in between the MB and challenge. But you can just check that out on our website. All right. Next from Evir on Zisui in context. She says, Luke, Pleco and Online Chinese Dictionary both say go go is third tone, first tone, just like hao hao. I'm a bit confused. Would you be so kind as to explain a bit more? Why do you say it should be third, fifth? Where, uh, where should we be checking these things up? Thanks. So here's the thing I've noticed about Pleco. Pleco tends to get some certain things uh, a little bit like letter of the law versus how people actually tend to say it. So, you know, it may be that go, go is like said as third tone, first tone in some like official capacity. Uh, but I hear it more as third, fifth. But then, then the thing is, Third, fifth, and third, first are actually pretty close to each other. The, like the difference, you know, might be, um, you know, go, go versus go, go. But it's still lower go, 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 right? Like it's like the first tone is a little bit more extended. It's a little bit more articulated, but it's still low, high. Go, 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 go. Right, like it's just a slight difference. So really it doesn't matter. But in my experience, because people, like when they repeat things, like they go like, uh, you know, xiao uh, mei uh, or, you know, di di or gu or, gu, or like these different repeated showing affection types of words, it tends to be that the second time you say it, it's fifth tone. Uh, and go, go, it's that same thing. It's like, we're, it's our little dog friends because go is dog. So like go, go is like, a, it's the same affectionate feeling to it. And that's fifth tone. So now that may not be something that Pleco specifically acknowledges, but it also, in this case, it doesn't really matter. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. But in my experience, like people aren't really articulating that go. They're not going like go, go, right? They're going Go, 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 go. It's very similar. Uh, and uh, But it's a little, it's just, you know, not super articulated. So hopefully that helps. Final comment of the day. We have Glennis Gallagher on Make a Movie for Show. She says, I find it really important to write the characters and movie scenes down as I have aphantasia, no visual imagery. It probably takes me twice as long, but hey-ho, I am really enjoying the course anyway. So, yeah, this is um, uh, something we talked about with Dr. Anthony Metevier in the Legends of Language Learning course uh, that's over available on our website. If you go to mandarinlura.com slash courses, you can find Legends of Language Learning there. It's free. And if you go to the section on memory, we talk with Anthony Metevier about aphantasia because he wrote an article about it and his contention and he takes mnemonics and memory palace work way farther than we do we keep it to the scope of mandarin learning characters and, and words he takes it to remembering anything and he contends that aphantasia does not mean that you can't use any of these techniques because one of the points he made is he said let's suppose i can't see anything in my mind's eye I still have a concept that there's a guy named Phil who I know. And he's, of course, talking to me. So he's like, you know, I there's some way that I know that that guy exists. So how? What In whatever way that you know that someone exists and or that a thing exists or that you have any memory of anything, whatever that mechanism is, 
is the way is the mechanism that you should try to latch on to to remember new material, right? So that is um, essentially what's going on there with uh, um, you know people who you know suffer from aphantasia, and I I don't know, of course, I've never had aphantasia myself. I've always had no trouble uh, imagining things in my mind's eye, uh, but. I'm glad to hear from Glennis that it's still working out. I mean, like writing down the scene is could be connecting to whatever mechanism it is. And then again, even if you write down the scene, compared to having to do it over and over through uh, the uh, rote learning technique, still much better. Still much better than that. So, all right. Thank you so much for listening to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Go ahead and give us a rating on iTunes if you'd like and check us out. Uh, We've been putting out some good YouTube videos lately. So head over to our YouTube channel. Just search Mandarin Blueprint on YouTube. Having some great new videos that are going to be very helpful for you and share them around with your friends. Like, you know, our YouTube videos, we've been putting a lot of uh, time and effort and money into these videos to try to make sure that they're as helpful to people as possible. And the best way for us to get the word out is to for you to share them and, uh, you know, of course, give them a like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and all that good stuff. But uh, you will uh, not regret watching them if you are a Mandarin learner and want to get the best techniques for Mandarin pronunciation and character learning and immersion and all of that good stuff. We got a bunch of great stuff planned and we will see you there and we'll see you on the Mandarin Blueprint podcast back here again with Luke in a couple of weeks. Zai jian.